volatility markets. Uh, thanks for joining me today. Derivatives trading is not suitable for all investors. Past performance is not necessarily indicative of future results. Here is what we'll talk about today. Who needs to know what we're about to talk about? Um, we're going to talk about that for a second. We're going to talk about understanding volatility, uh, volatility's pros and cons, balance versus imbalance, transition risk. So we'll talk a little bit about when the market starts to move from being uh, volatile, uh, non-volatile to volatile. This is the point at which most people lose money. Measuring volatility, we'll talk about an action plan for how to adjust trading and how to profit from uh, high volatility markets. Uh, that involves maintaining a positive R factor skew. So it's just pure mathematics. We'll go through an example of that. Defining higher level key areas to trade and wait for those areas. Emotional awareness, awareness and staying in check. Uh, motion mapping. Most of you have heard about Jared Tendler. He talks about this a lot. So this is what we'll be covering today. Who needs to know? Uh, simply, traders want to continue to be active despite expanding volatility. A lot of traders actually stop trading once uh, volatility strikes, like we saw in the month of January and at the beginning of the month of February so far. Traders who are intimidated or struggle with a very volatile market, um, it just seems like something that we're familiar with no longer works. Uh, and, and so we're going to just cover... Uh, provide some tips on how to stay involved while keeping um, the overall risk posture in check. Traders who trade volatility but keep giving back large gains in a few trades. So I'm sure this is uh, something that uh, you've come across where uh, you do well, the market's balanced, it's it's uh, trading as you would expect and then volatility strikes and then all of a sudden uh, weeks, uh, a week or two or a month's worth of gains are given back in uh, one or two trades or just a day. Volatility. So I want to make sure we define what we're talking about here when it comes to volatility. Volatility is the rate at which the price of a stock or a commodity increases or decreases over a particular period. Okay, that's all volatility is. Generally, investors use the CBOE VIX gauge uh, to, to assess volatility. So you've seen the VIX, it, uh, it moves up when the market is uh, fearful or when volatility increases and it moves down as volatility drops. I don't like using the VIX, it has a lot of pitfalls. Uh, the VIX really breaking it down, the VIX is a measure of the relative strength of near-term premium changes on options of the S&P 500. So we look for, we look at the options and how they are changing uh, for the S&P 500 index and uh, we project that forward 30 days and that's basically the VIX. You know, the higher, uh, generally when the market drops, the, the puts um, the puts increase in value, volatility increases, uh, and and so the VIX increases in value as well. We don't use this for intraday uh, trading. It tends to be laggy in the way it responds. It also uh, has some pitfalls in that you know it acts differently depending on the time of the month. Um, my preference to measure volatility. Uh, if I had to measure volatility in the one that we use, 
is called the closed-to-close volatility sigmas. This is something uh, that's produced every day uh, at Convergent. I'm going to share with you this morning's volatility sigma chart. And what this does is it measures it measures the the historical volatility of closing prices. So it gives us H vol for the 20 session for 20 sessions going back. It, in this case, you could use close. You can use the the cash close, you can use the session close, which is 5 p.m. Eastern. Whatever it is, you just have to use it consistently. And then we apply a formula, uh, which is generally used, which is used a lot in options to uh, go over, uh, to figure out what the historical volatility is. Uh, and then what that does is it gives us uh, the bands. The bands are based on the sigma, the sigma for today looking back 20 sessions is 61 and a half points in the S&P 500, 61 and a half points. And so we project 61 and a half points from the settlement price or the closing price, <clears throat> 4470 plus 61.5 is 4531 and a half. So if the market, the market is ex expected, and this is actually very high, you can see that HVOL, um, HVOL and the volatility range are really high currently. They're they're higher than they've been in a long time. Okay, going back to a year, this is this chart's looking back one year. Uh, the current uh, HVOL close to close HVOL is as high as we've seen it. Uh, and so what this means is that uh, the market is expected to close at three o'clock central, four o'clock Eastern, it's normal if it closes between 45.31 and a half today and 44.08 and a half today. That gives us twice the range. So that's about 123 points of range, which we would consider normal. So in quieter markets, like when it was down here, you can see that the, the, uh, the sigma is only about 20 points. So from yesterday's close, uh, it could close up 44.90 or down 44.50, pretty tight. But it has expanded dramatically, and that's one of the indications. One of the indications that um, that the the volatility is extremely high. Okay. And so that's what we use in terms of uh, volatility measure. This was introduced by a head trader at Convergent Trading, uh, known on Twitter as at Tendex Capital. I highly recommend you follow. Um, so that's how we define volatility, okay? So volatility is just how price increases or decreases over a set period of time. What are the pros and cons? of volatility. The pros of volatility are is that you get much a much higher number of opportunities to profit. So with volatility you get a lot of movement. We make money, you don't make money um it's not like selling options. You don't just sell an option and hope it doesn't move um and then you just collect premium and it expires worthless. Uh, in futures and stocks, we make money with movement. Higher volatility means higher ranges, um, which means higher opportunity to make a profit. Okay, those are the pros. 
there are more chances for redemption and to get into the flow. So when we, back in the day, uh, back in 2015 or so, we would have days where the market's entire daily range is nine points. So if you happen to be on the wrong side of a breakout on that kind of day, uh, it would go from trading in, in very, very tight, you know, all morning in a three or four point rotation. Can you believe that? Very, very tight. It, it can go from that to uh, suddenly breaking out six or seven points. And then uh, and then it would go into a two, two and a half point uh, balance for the rest of the session. Well, if you happen to be on the wrong side of the breakout, you're done for for the day. There's just no opportunity to make money back. With higher volatility, you get a lot of movements. So there's there are a lot of chances to um, to catch a trade in the opposite direction or to uh, get stopped out and get back into the next trade. In in higher volatility environments, another pro is wider targets, more directional movements, more pure move, movements. Um, it is much easier to get into the flow. The auction is much purer in a higher volatility environment. Given the option, I'm always going to lean on the side of higher volatility. I prefer higher volatility because it just gives me a chance to um, to do something with the action. Longer duration to participate, market doesn't die over lunch. So that's another thing. It ties in with the number of opportunities. It ties in with the number of chances for redemption. It ties in with the wider targets, more directional. The fact is the market doesn't just die once the European market closes, uh, which is at 11.30 Eastern, and it, over lunch. It continues to actually, the price discovery continues uh, throughout. If you have ever taken and played back a market at high speed, like at eight times speed or something, uh, you've probably had this experience of really feeling like you can tell what it's likely to do before it does it. Um, that playback at high speed is basically what we get, is very similar to what we get when we get high volatility. Um, so this is why I prefer it. It's just, it's, there's less uh, quote stuffing in the DOM. There's less faking. It's cleaner. The cons are, there are also, just like there are more opportunities to win, there are more opportunities to lose. So, you know, lots of stopouts, uh, catching the wrong direction can run quite a while, especially if you're something as thin, thin and as aggressive as the NQ. Uh, elevated emotions of fear, so lots and lots and lots of FOMO. You can really overdose on FOMO in a volatile market. Um, I traded with FOMO the US CPI uh, a couple weeks ago, and uh, that was really wonderful <laughs> to do that. So I had a, I had the experience myself of not following my plan and, and really getting involved, too involved with the price action and uh, the market um, gave me a lesson or two. So uh, in a higher volatility environment like that CPI release, uh, you get this, uh, this heightened um, emotional charge, uh, which involves fear, anger, and the, in general, the mass psychology is such that um, it's, it's overwhelming. Thinner and more surprises from hedges. So in general, the liquidity gets sucked out, uh, the market makers pull, uh, 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 
algos that scalp the market generally get turned off. And so you end up with single or low double digit S&P liquidity when it should be uh, a couple hundred or 300 contracts per price up and down the book. Uh, so that's a con because it can easily be swept. It starts to trade a lot more like the Dow or the Russell versus the S&P. Uh, there are higher transaction volumes and cost to traders in higher volatility. You're going to pay a lot more in exchange fees. You're going to pay a lot more in, in commissions um, as a result of the volatility. So your costs are going to dramatically go up because, you know, it's moving a lot. So you're interacting a lot. The next thing we want to talk about is just to bring it back to balance versus imbalance okay so there are only for those of you who are not familiar there are only two market conditions that exist okay the market only exists in two conditions balance and imbalance that's it it's either priced in and found its sweet spot and it's going sideways or it's repricing and it's trending Okay, so balance is prevalent in normal markets. In general, balance is the, the order of the day. Balance is what the market seeks. We're looking to find that perfect price in our supply-demand intersection uh, per, you know, your uh, economics 101 class. Imbalance or price discovery or trend occurs when the product is being revalued. Okay, so there's news or there's some input that's being brought into the market and it's causing us to have to reprice that product. Volatile markets are imbalanced markets on steroids. They're just, the imbalance is, the, the information is so uh, disruptive that uh, it really struggles to find that balance. And so it goes into this hyper price discovery uh, process. Uh, this can be a geopolitical surprise. This could be a monetary surprise. It could be a fiscal surprise. It could be something with a major stock. It could be a pandemic. Uh, we don't know how to price these things. You know, there's a lot of information about the Fed. Is it going to be a 25 basis point hike in March or is it not? Are they going to taper aggressively or softly? Are they going to taper? What's the ECB doing? What's the Bank of Japan doing? What's the Bank of England doing? What are the Swiss doing? And it's just what did what you know are are the FOMC committee voting committee members in accord, or is the dot plot changing dramatically from moment to moment? All of that is being priced and, and hedges are being put on and positions are being put on and taken off pretty aggressively. So volatility just continues for a while, depending on what the news is. So we did a study hall just last Thursday, actually. Uh, we do uh, two study halls, or one study hall a month, uh, among other um, events for members. And we talked about the, the other condition. Um, we talked about trading a balanced market. So we talked about the stages of balance, uh, what I call outside-in trading, trading the edges in or mean reversion trading, defining the areas based on outside-in. Uh, so if you're a member, uh, please go to uh, last uh, Friday's or last Thursday's webinar. It's in the archive. If you're not a member, you're welcome to join for a month and go through the archive and pick up as much information as you like. 
I want to remind you all, just take a brief uh, intercession here and remind you all to make sure that you go and subscribe to the YouTube channel. It doesn't cost you anything, but content is constantly being put on there, uh, trading tips, um, two-minute videos, uh, things like that, uh, uh, webinars that are being posted. Uh, be sure to find it. If you can't find how to subscribe, just follow the link here. Go to ct.pro forward slash ct YouTube. This is case sensitive. Take a moment and do that to subscribe to the channel. So let's talk for a minute about transition risk. Okay. The biggest problem with volatility is we don't know when it's going to come. Yes, we know there's news around the corner or whatever, but we don't know how the market's going to respond. Respond, nobody does, um, unless you're on the inside or you know part of Congress. <laughs> um, so we don't know. The greatest risk for traders is the transition period. So it's that period where it moves from one condition to the next that presents the greatest risk for us intraday traders. Um, it's it's that period between one market regime and the next that creates the biggest risk for investors, for option sellers, for uh, swing traders, right? So for us, it's always that transition period because we've adapted our risk parameters, we've adapted our way of trading to the current conditions, but conditions are constantly changing and that's one of the key elements that makes uh, trading as difficult as it is. How do we recognize the potential for a transition before or early when it happens? So some of these inputs are strong pre-market risk posture. So many of you have probably seen this. Who has not seen this table before? This is on Convergent Trading's Twitter feed. Let us know if you haven't seen it. I'm very interested. I'd love for this to be interactive. Let us know. Um, but it's posted every day on Convergence Twitter feed. You can you can find it at twitter.com forward slash conv, C-O-N-V, trading. Uh, it's posted around 8.50 or so a.m., plus give or take five minutes. Um, and one of the key elements on this chart is the risk posture. So what we've done here is we've gone back to when the volatility started, uh, which was January 6th, okay? And we're looking at what is going on on January 6th. So we could see that uh, the, the European markets are getting punched, gold, silver, and copper are getting hit, uh, cryptos are getting hit. But more importantly, let me change my pen here, one second. More importantly, the statistics, the overnight statistics for the S&P are telling the story, okay? So we're constantly updating our stats on a weekly basis. We know what the norms are. These are the normal statistics for the overnight session. The way to read these is that the most common range over the 200, last 252-day sample, okay, pure statistics, overnight is 23 and a half points. That's the most common range. Some may call that 
the expected range, okay? The range is normal or within one, one sigma of the mode up to 33.75 points. So up to 33.75 points, we look at it and we say, meh, this is a normal session. Anything above here goes into two sigma. And the occurrence of two sigma is about two and a half percent to each side, two and a quarter percent. So out of 252 days, the chances that it gets above on a normal distribution, that it gets above 33.75 on any of those 252 days historically is about two and a half, two and a quarter percent, two and a quarter percent. That's a very small probability. So a lot is riding against that. Okay, um, there, the other two and a half, two and a quarter percent are on the other side, which we don't, we're not looking at. It's like eight points or something. We're not interested on that side, but we're just taking the higher end of the distribution. So that's the range. So the range can be, should be about 24 points. We expect about 24 points in the overnight session. And the overnight session is defined as 18 hours Eastern until 9.30 a.m. Eastern. That's overnight. So anything outside of the RTH hours or the equity hours, okay? And um, plus, plus that little gap. So, and then the other piece to this is that the normal volume over the last 252 days, or the common volume over the last 252 days is 228,000 contracts. And we start to push outside of what's normal above 263,000. Now look at this day where the market is going on tilt. This is the beginning of the sell-off sell -off as, as a result of the Omicron virus. We can see that volume is already way up, it's above. The mode, it's above the one volatility sigma. Remember, as professional traders, we trade on probabilities and statistics, and this is all this is. The range has just breached above what we would consider to be normal. The risk posture is mild risk off. Record COVID infection numbers. We know how that played out, right? Um, and so, and renewed anxiety over inflation. These are these are factors that are starting to weigh on the market. And you know what happened from there? We went from uh, all-time highs of 4808 all the way down to 4200, I think, something like that. That's a huge range, 600 points. This was the day where this started. So the transition can be seen early on and that's these are some of the pieces so let's go back to what we were talking about this is just looking at the risk posture looking at the overnight volume it's heavy relative volume per period which is a, a different chart i'll show you what that looks like one second this is another chart that i use I'm just bringing it up for you, relative volume. So what this is, is it's a 30 minute chart and it's telling me what the statistical mean. So this is a 30 minute chart, right? So 
the, the every bar is 30 minutes. It's telling me that the 20-day mean of volume for that first 30-minute block at 8.30, I'm in Chicago, so we open at 8.30, is some number. That number is 212,000 and a half contracts, 212,542 uh, contracts, 212,542 contracts. And then we look and we see that the first half hour traded 1,806, 186,000 contracts. Now let's go back to the faithful day there, the sixth. Look at what's happening here. The normal at that point was 169,000. It's actually the fifth that started us off. The normal here is 177,000 in the first half hour. And what did we trade? We traded 271,000. We exceeded the 20-day the mean for that first 30-minute bar by 100,000 contracts almost. The second 30-minute bar, way above. So the black is the average, the 20-day mean, and the bar is the actual. The third bar, so we're an hour and a half in, much higher. Much, so you can see the volume remains high over several days. Relative volume, relative volume is high. So that's a relative volume per period is high. That's another indication we come in and we see there's, holy crap, there's a lot of volume going through. This is an, another indication of a transition. Wider overnight range, we talked about that, the statistics. Looking at the location of where we're opening versus the last few sessions. So are we opening in the same range? Are we opening uh, way out of balance? So let's look at that for a minute. Another indication. So I, what I'm looking to do here is I'm, I'm looking to uh, provide you with um, empirical clues in order to understand that things have changed. So you can see here's the end of last year, chop, 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 all-time highs, 4807, 50, and then all of a sudden we're way out of balance. And we're way out of balance, and the over and this is the overnight session here. The overnight session went from you can see 124,000 contracts, 108, 92,000. This is right before New Year's. 99,000 contracts in the overnight session. This is just the overnight session. 178,000 in the overnight session, 174,000 contracts, and 177,000 on the fourth. Okay, going into the the morning of the fifth, and then the 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 uh, open of the sixth. 325,000 contracts. So that's twice the prior day overnight volume. And we are completely dislocated from the prior session. So we come in here and we know immediately, we know we have a gap. And we also immediately know that there's going to be a lot of volatility coming into the session. Not, this is not um, geek science or anything. This is common sense. So that's another piece to the puzzle, location versus prior auction and driving behavior early on. So as the market opens, let's switch this to the open. We see this strong push, either responsive, meaning going back to where it was, 
or initiative, meaning it's um, it's going directionally. So let's go back to the fifth. So this is the day session here. So here's the sixth. So let's break this down into, let's bring this down into a point figure. So I'm walking you through this as if we're all trading together in a room and we're analyzing what the market is doing, okay? So let's go back to that day. Here we go. So what happens on these days in general is we open and we just go directional. So the open is right here at 87. There's no there's no real crossing or clear crossing back and forth through the open. There's a quick wiggle, breaks up, uses the open as support, runs directionally. So this run right here is approximately 30 points, this one rotation. Then it's done. It goes back into the prior day's range. It's done. It finds sellers and off to the races we go and we start to run off directionally uh in the other direction these are all predictable uh pieces to the puzzle okay so those are examples of um of how we can see the transition before it happens have i lost anyone does anybody have questions a good spot for questions landau do we have questions about this we had a question about um the volatility bands um which i'd be make cover this later so we may want to circle back to it but he's asking would you use price expanding beyond your calculating calculated distance which i think he's just saying the volatility bands as a means of looking for mean reversion or value reversion or for an indication that the range will continue expanding so i think he's saying essentially uh once price passes the volatility bands are you looking at that as you know, the market's trending so hard that I'm, you know, not going to fade this? Or are you actually using the volatility bands as an area where you're starting to look for fades? Yeah, so I'm not going to look for fades uh, based on the volatility bands themselves. So I don't use them as support and resistance. Uh, great question, though. Uh, however, when, uh, when let's say I am short and the market is selling off and we are pushing through one vola sigma down, which for today we've pushed through 44.0850. Okay, we closed near highs yesterday. Today we pushed well through the one vola sigma band. My expectation, so there's a essentially there's a 97% historical probability that we would close above 440850. So if I'm short into that 440850, I'm aware that this is an area that by the time the market closes, which is at three o'clock central, four eastern. So there's a lot of time. So we can actually drop to 4347, for example. But as long as it ends up above 4408, we would consider that a normal close. But as we're pushing into this band, I'm gauging that, I'm using the sigma to tell me, hey, this is getting a little bit stretchy. This rubber band 
is starting to stretch real wide and it may snap back. So the I'm not initiating trades off of it, but it starts to get me looking in the region for key support or resistance to um, to react or to reduce my risk because things have been have become quite stretched. So we have not been able to pick up from here uh, so far, so it doesn't look to me like it's found buyers yet. Uh, but the idea is it's very likely to finish above 4408.50 today. And that's how I'm looking at those. Anything else, Lando? Um, not, not directly related. That's a great answer, though. Okay, so measuring volatility. Harmonic rotations, 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 rotations. If you do a search on YouTube for rotations, my name's going to come up again and again. Really important to understand your product's rotations because the product's rotations are um, a measure of how it moves, how it discovers price back and forth. Each product has a different rotation value. We'll look at those in a minute. This is always a lagging input. So there's always a lagging input when you're looking at volatility. So if you use HVOL uh, for options, you're looking at 20-day look-back period. If you're using rotations, you're looking at a 20, 10, or 5-day, depending on how sensitive you want it to be. The less days or sessions you look at, the uh, lower the uh, data set, the smaller the data set the lower the confidence interval, statistically speaking, meaning, you know, um, you can't decide a coin is a 50-50 or a fair coin, heads or tails, if you flip it three times. Uh, you can't, it's going to be offsides. One side is just not going to get, it's not possible for it to be 50-50 anymore on three samples. But if you flip that coin 10,000 times, it'll probably be you know, 49.6% heads and 50.4% tails. It starts to move, the bigger the sample size, it starts to move towards its true um, edge, so to speak. So we look back at volatility to measure it, and so that's always a lagging indicator. So as an example, we're going to look at how we measure historical volatility here and we use for that we use a fractal chart so in uh at convergent what i do every sunday night or on monday very early these days because i have a new baby and i don't sleep uh i go and i generate a chart that um that provides uh convergent members with the volatility measures uh, it looks like this. Okay, so for the most popular products, we put in the parameters. What were the statistics generated on? We're looking at 20 se trading sessions. Uh, we're looking for the cash session on certain products, pit session for crude, because that's just the most active. Uh, and then for the European sessions, we're looking at EU cash. We're looking at the pit for the 10-year note. We're looking at the EU cash for the 6E or the euro dollar, uh, the euro currency. And for gold, we're looking at the US pit. We're looking, these are, this is the chart period, periodicity. So it's a one minute chart. 
And these are the bin sizes, meaning the smallest, you know, what's the tick size. And then we're defining a rotation with the highest bar in a five bar arrangement um, and the lowest bar in a five bar arrangement that tells us what the rotation is worth. And then we compute these other pieces, the zigzag pullback values that an impulse, which is a 90th percentile move is 23 points. Uh, normal rotation in the S&P currently is 12.75 points up and 12.75 points down. This value is normally around three and a half points, historically speaking. So we could see that we are at uh, four times the uh, rotational value of the S&P like as we normally have. So instead of trading a 24 lot, I need to trade a six lot. Okay, so that's what that means. Um, and, and the values are in points. Okay, so what is this? So this is how we measure it. If we look, if we look back, I'm going to show you one from the 14th of November when volatility was elevated, but not to the level that we are at now. So here's the one that is current. Again, okay, you all see this? Look at the numbers. Impulse is 23 points. Normal rotation is 12.75 points. And here's what it was back in November. So you can see this changes week by week by week by week. It slowly goes up or down. And this is how we keep track of, this is how we're measuring a volatility. I cannot overemphasize how important this chart is. In addition to this, we produce a chart that shows the trade sizes by participants, small lot, large lot and very large lot so we can break up who's participating so we have an idea or a proxy for who is acting in the market we measure delta that way that's another statistical uh, data set that we create a convergent again this is produced every week and this is what i would give or uh, provide to my prop traders this is what gives them an edge in terms of sizing their trades and so forth Okay, and what we use to create this is the um, historical vault is, is this chart. So the numbers are coming off. You can see the impulse is 22.75 up, 22, negative 22.25 down. The rotation, normal rotation is 13.5. This includes Thursday. So there have been a, a four additional days here. Uh, the mode, the most common rotation is six points. Okay, used to be two and a half, uh, and so on and so forth. And we could see there are 797 rotations up and 800 rotations down. This tells us that there's a huge, there's a big sample size. We're basing this decision on a really large sample size. Okay, so what, how does this help us? Let me see if I can get rid of this. How does this help us? So we were here. So that's an example. Those are examples of what the harmonic rotations look like. It is important for you to figure out how to study harmonic rotations. It is an edge. We had a question. Um, sure. Somebody's asking, are you saying that the one minute normal rotation is 
uh, 12.75. So I think he wants to know uh, how is the rotation determined? Because it's it's not each minute. It's just using one minute bars. It is the statistical one standard deviation boundary. It's so what this is saying is a rotation up to 12.75 points in one direction on a one minute bar is normal currently up to what this is not saying is to expect that every zigzag that occurs in the s p every swing high swing low on a one minute chart is going to be 12.75 points this is simply saying that um Statistically speaking, and I don't want to get too much into standard deviations and sigmas and bell curves, but what this is saying is about 70% of the, of the data set occurs inside of plus or minus 12.75 points. So anything inside of 12.75 points to the positive side, so from low to high or high to low, is normal in the S&P right now. That is a significant amount of volatility for a one-minute bar, for a one-minute bar chart from swing high to swing low. Remember, we're talking swing high to swing low. So what this is looking at is it's saying, okay, from 44.13 to 44.24.75, there were 11.75 points. This is a normal rotation, okay? And it records it right here, this little dot right here. That's 11.75 points, this little bleep. And it takes all of these bleeps and charts them on a histogram, just like you did in statistics class, okay? It finds the mode and it finds the value area around the mode. And that's how we compute what is normal, okay? So since, since Sunday, when I... Um, did the chart that you saw when I disseminated the chart to Convergence members to now, it has increased to 13 and a half uh, points. Okay, so, um, and we do that. We look at, okay, 11.75, so up 11.75, and then it went down 12.25, so now down here, it's a down rotation, 12.25 is plotted then up 7.75, down 9.75. So currently the S&P is oscillating mainly in what is a normal rotational value, okay? And anything above 22.75 points is considered an impulse. That means this is a, our first indication that something unusual has just happened. And we use a 90th percentile, 1.66 sigma, and we, I'm defining that, I've chosen 90% to define what is unusual. And then there's a trade setup based on unusual moves. So if the market moves like it did here from the open, it went to, this is today, it went to 44, 41.75, and it dropped 14, and a half, 14 points, then it went back up, and then it dropped again, 27 and a half points. I am leaning short, so the trade that was narrated in the Head Trader channel is 20 short. 20 is a big area, so let's zoom back. You can see 20 got hit several times here, so support becomes resistance. Pull back to 20, 
we know that we just had an unusual rotation. I'm going to trade in the direction of that unusual rotation, pull back 20 point to 44.20, get short, and look for it to break the 44.08 where that impulse occurred. That's how I'm looking. That's a that's a standard setup that we talk about all the time at Convergent, and it's a setup that occurs in volatile or non-volatile markets as long as there's an impulse. I'm looking to trade in the direction of the impulse. Where does that impulse come from? Rotations. Anyway, I'm running out of time and there's more to cover. Uh, let's look at the action plan. What happens when we move from balance to imbalance or from a balanced or quiet market to an imbalanced market? One of the things that happens, as we talked about, is a massive increase in the range, in the in, which is represented by the volatility, which is represented by rotations. The first thing we have to do is make sure we maintain a positive R factor skew. I want to see who's listening. Who can tell me what a positive R factor skew means? What does that mean? Can you describe what that means? It's a really important piece that you must understand and know. What is a positive R factor skew? I'm gonna show you an example, but I wanna make sure that I'm not spoon feeding you, that you're doing some thinking here. Do we have any answers on YouTube, Lando? There's a little bit of a delay, so we'll have to wait for them to come in. We don't have anything yet. Okay, yeah, there's like a seven second delay or something. Um, so, an R the R factor. And ideally, more than one, two or more uh, yes. larger wins than losses. Yes. Three to one. Yes, higher Anytime reward to risk ratio. Right, oh. excellent, good. Somebody's listening. Um, what you want is the value of a trade when you win to be much higher than the value of a trade when you lose. That is the R factor. The R factor is the ratio between the amount you make if the trade works out versus the amount you lose or you're risking if the trade gets stopped out full size, okay? So when we move from balance to imbalance, we have to rework, we have to recompute our R factor. And I, there's a whole webinar I did on Futures IO about risk management, and I talk about R factors, and I show you an example spreadsheet that does 10,000 randomized trades with different R factors, and how the single most significant, again, past performance is not indicative of future results, but the single most significant improvement to a trader's edge, whatever that edge is, and in, in the case that I worked, uh, worked on, is random, a random edge with a 35% win rate, the most significant thing you can do to a uh, as a trader is have a positive R factor skew. This is important. I'm going to say it again. The most significant thing you can do as a trader to be profitable is to have a positive R factor skew. So you're always looking to gain in the overall trade a larger amount than you're risking if the trade didn't work. So that multiple trades that lose can be recovered 
with a much few, a smaller number of winning trades. So as volatility picks up, something's gotta give. So let's go back. Do you remember this chart here? Right here. So I'm gonna go back to November and I'm gonna compute for you what the R factor is for uh, that condition. Okay, and I, I unfortunately I can't show everything that I'm doing because it's proprietary, but I'm going to give you the numbers. I'm not going to get into why I'm selecting, you know, the exits and so on. But here's an example that uses the same chart that I just talked about, which is an actual chart that we posted on November 14th for members. Okay, so I, I took just the ES, I removed everything else, and we took the same numbers. And I created a trade management plan. If you don't have a trade management plan, you're screwed. Um, you really should have one. Uh, I'm gonna assume a unit size of three lots, which is, a, which is the size that we've recommended ever since the micros came out. Um, a unit size of three lots. The product where you're gonna use here is the MES. The statistics are done on the ES, although with the volume that the MES has now, you could probably do statistics on that without an issue. The tick value is a, a dollar and a quarter per lot. So we're going to talk in ticks. So based on the statistics, and I'm not going to get into why I'm choosing these stops and things like that, based on the statistics, we're going to use a seven tick stop size. Okay. And we're going to put on a three lot. If we get stopped, the value of that stop is 26 and a quarter dollars that's what it's worth if we get our first scale because i like to scale out as a trader i'm either scaling um either all in scale out or scale in scale out really never all in all out okay because i i don't believe i can be that accurate with the market so i'm looking for one scale the first scale let's call it six ticks so the skew is not quite there. So I'm risking seven ticks and I'm taking six ticks on the first scale. There's a good reason for that. We won't get into that right now. I'm taking six ticks for one lot. The six ticks for one lot is worth six ticks, which is worth seven and a half dollars. Leaves me with two contracts on. And if those, if the market suddenly turns around before it gets to 10 ticks and stops me out on the remaining two contracts, I have 10, a $10 loss. This is the importance of scaling out. So originally my risk on the trade was $26.25 plus commissions and fees, okay? But as soon as I get a scale out, my risk is now just $10. That's a huge improvement, right? That's a 62% improvement in risk. That's having a positive risk skew or skewing the risk to your side is another way of saying it. So just the one scale out, now I can hang on to two contracts and my overall risk is $10 versus 26 and a quarter dollars. I get to my second scale out, let's call it 10 ticks. Again, won't go over why it's 10 ticks, but we got to 10 ticks on this trade which is based on the harmonic rotations. And we took one contract off. The, the amount is gained as 10 ticks. It's worth 12, $12 and a half dollars. And I have one lot left. 
So I've gotten seven and a half, 12 and a half. How much am I remaining? How much am I standing to lose here if the market turns around after the second scale out and stops me out at seven ticks for one lot? Because that's all I have remaining. I have one lot. No matter what, I stand to gain 3.75 points. So I am always, always itching for that second scale out. Okay, my risk is completely off. My risk is off by more than 50%. So 50% is uh, 26 is about $13 loss, and I'm risking 10. So I've improved my risk by more than half. Okay, so if I get my target, which is at 32 points, 32 ticks, I gain 32 ticks, which is worth $40. Okay. And if I sum these up, my potential profit is $60. And if I get stopped out for the full amount, the loss is 26 and a quarter dollars. My R factor is that uh 2.29. So I'm my risk factor is two to one, 2.29 to one. For every winning trade, I can stand two losses. And because the outcomes are random, I don't know when that's going to happen. Now, that's under relatively high volatility conditions, which was November of 2021. 20, uh, now we come to, this is not November 2021 anymore. This is 2.14.2022. Here are the new numbers. The impulse is 23, impulse up is 23, down is 22.25 on a one minute bar chart. The normal harmonic rotation is 12.75 up, 12.75 down. Three lots, one tick. Now my loss at 15 ticks for three lots is 53, 54.38, 54 and some change because there's, uh, yeah, 54 and some change. And um, once I get my first scale out, my risk is dramatically improved again, so on and so forth. Potential profit, $161.88. Potential stop is $54.38. My risk, my R factor is 2.98. It has actually improved. And the reason it has improved is because the statistics that I'm using to base my scale outs in have expanded in my favor. And there are products that go in the opposite direction, like the bonds and the notes went in the opposite direction. The R factor on my setups went from 2.1R to about 1.78R. So I don't trade those products, okay? So this is the math that needs to be done. You need to know when you get your first scale, how much is on the table. You need to know when you get your second scale, how much is left on the table, or do you, are you in profit? And because the loss is much bigger, let's say you're trading a $1,000 account and you're trying to keep your risk to 1% uh, for, the, for each trade, if this number's too high, you just go down to two lots to reduce that number. And so as the rotations increase, you wanna reduce the number of contracts to, cut, to make your risk per trade as a factor of your account size the same. Are there any questions on this? Very important stuff. Yeah, we have a, a multi-part question here. Um, he's asking about scaling and then also about uh, discretion in your management. So he said, um, 
why is it best to stick to three units or why, for example, is using four uh, scale out units not better? Um, is it always within your discretionary view on market narrative if you should use two, three or four units or do you set one bracket and then stick to it? And then he goes on to say, what should uh, be the ultimate goal of a professional trader in your opinion, sticking to a predefined bracket based on harmonic rotations or adjusting each trade based on what the market is currently doing. And then he says he watched our recent talk on how to trade futures like a professional. He sticks to three units as his scale out and it improved his results because he eliminated the randomness caused by his chimp mind. So he said, thank you. Uh, and if you guys haven't checked out that webinar, uh, we'll have it linked above. It's a really good webinar you guys should check out as well. Very cool, thanks. Um, so uh, in terms of should I should you use uh, two lots, three lots, four lots, that has to do with your account size. It has to do with the amount of risk you want to take per trade. That has to do with a lot of things. I'm really, <clears throat> I'm really looking for when it comes to this. I'm really looking for. Um, to me, three is kind of the smallest <laughs> that I like because uh, with three, I can be completely risk-free and in the money without moving my stop. One of the key issues that traders have is they choke a trade off. You put a trade on, you get one scale out, and you're like, oh my God, it's going in my direction. I don't want it to go against me, so I'm just gonna do um, break even plus a tick. And break even plus a tick actually costs you money, believe it or not. Run the numbers. Go back through your trades, go back into your trade log, download your trades, and look at the trades that you have moved the stop on. And what you might notice is had you left the stop wider, you would have participated in more upside. Um, it is essentially like buying a ticket to a movie and then as soon as the action slows down on the screen, you wanna leave the theater and you basically miss the ending. You miss the full value of that ticket, silly analogy, but that's basically what's happening. Uh, so my goal is to keep the stop where it is. I don't wanna move my stop until the second scale has, has been received. Once I get the second scale, in this case, the market has moved 25 ticks in my favor. If the market's going to turn around from 25 ticks and come all the way back through my entry, I'm actively managing that trade. But most people get one scale out and they're managing their risk. But one scale out always, is almost always within one rotation, one harmonic rotation. So just killing yourself with that, with that kind of move. So I do three because I want to be positive on the trade. The money, the money is here. This is the money. The money's in the runner. So if I only had two and I use this algorithm, I only get $48 for these two. I only get $48 and I'm risking 54. So if let's say I decide that, um, well, I'd be risking less, but the, the R factor for that trade is going to be like 1.2 two maybe, 1.1 maybe, it's not gonna be very high. We can just do that, right? So I have 36 at risk and I've got 48. So 
uh, 1.33 is the factor here. It's not great. I want to be above two. So I prefer to have three on, get my second scale. That's the key. The key is that second scale. The first scale is just lightening the load. It's cutting my risk for more than half all the time, most of the time. Can't say all to anything. Um, it's cutting my risk by a factor of about two to one. And then the, the second scale puts me positive. And now I can just relax and I can just let the runner run. Okay. And the runner is actually within a reasonable distance. 91 ticks and this volatility is not bad at all. Remember, this doesn't have to happen in one rotation. It happens in multiple rotations, but it gets to 91 ticks quite often. And I'm getting almost a three to one R factor. Anyway, we've spent a lot of time on this. There's more stuff I need to cover. Define higher level areas to trade and wait. So in environments where the volatility uh, is dramatic, what you want to do is step away from your intraday levels. We don't care about the initial bounds. We don't care. We are looking at the greater auction. This is a chart that I posted in the Head Trader channel uh, at Convergent Trading. When was this? This was on the 14th, on Monday. So this is the map for the week. So I'm mapping out the week here. I'm showing where the key areas are. Okay, and you can see immediate magnet balance 44.20. Remember those 44.20 from today? That short trade from below. Okay, the target over under the over under is 4400. Below there, 4385. I don't know where we are currently. We're at 4402, 4403. So instead of trading like looking at the prior day and trying to trade value, the prior value, the prior point of control. What I'm doing is I'm looking at a much bigger map. So that's another way to profit more easily, hopefully, by looking at higher higher level uh, key areas and then waiting for the market to get to those areas is the other piece. I, I can't trade, I can't diddle in the middle here. I don't wanna participate in the 4435, 4430. I wanna wait for it to push to 4445, 4447, 4440 before I start to participate. Because, and especially if it does so on an impulse, I mean, if the market impulses into my level, all the better, okay? So that's another action plan that you can take. And then the last action plan, of course, as it is for all um, cases with trading, the action plan is always to be emotionally aware. So emotion mapping is really important. Understanding what triggers you, understanding how you respond to those triggers is really key. You cannot be a professional trader without understanding what emotions are in play and firmly understanding that having an emotion does not mean, does not mean an action must follow. We're out of time. Uh, we took questions along the way, but we wanted to look at, uh, we wanted to make sure we had time for questions. I know that's a lot to digest. It's like drinking from a fire hose. I've heard that many times. But what I'm sharing with you here is some real nuts and bolts stuff that you would have to contend with and plan for and discuss and explain in a prop environment, not a, not a 
funding trial environment, but the true prop environment where you're trading someone else's money. If you don't have a plan for these things that we talked about today, you should. If you are lost because I covered a lot, you will get the recording. Yes, this is recorded and it'll be posted. I strongly suggest you listen back through it again and again and again and get these things right because really it, um, it, it matters what this stuff is. Uh, this is. This is very important stuff to... Um, very important stuff to have plans for. Anyway, don't forget to um, subscribe to Convergent Trading's YouTube channel. Of course, if you want to check out Convergent Trading, go to convergenttrading.com. Thanks, Landau, for um, moderating, and I hope everybody picked up uh, some actionable things. At the minimum, I hope you picked up uh, and understand that there may be some holes in your plan that you need to um, have uh, some parameters set up for when the mar market is very volatile so that you can participate when the opportunity is there. Okay, hope you gained something today. Thanks for tuning in and I'll catch you at the Trader Byte tomorrow morning. Take care.